I love that first guy. He always gets me. I just, I've felt that way so many times. But I want to welcome those of you who are watching online by television, those in our room today. This is the day the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Don't know where you are, but where we are, it is a beautiful day. So let's see what kind of a mood you're in. How many of you right now would rather be here than having a root canal? Would you hold your hand up? All right, super good. We're going to have a great time today. True story, one night when I was only a child, I was living in a village called Chicopee, if you know where that is, not too far from here. My wonderful, godly mother woke up. I didn't know this at the time, but she woke up in the middle of the night, sat straight up in bed, and began to weep uncontrollably. My dad didn't know what was wrong. He thought she'd had a bad dream. That's not what happened. She said while she was sleeping, this thought came to her mind. There is no God, and you're going to hell. Just out of the blue. There is no God. You're going to hell. For the next several months, everywhere my mother went, doubt and despair stalked her at every turn. It was the first time in her life she had ever doubted the existence of God. Like me, she grew up in church. She had a godly mother, a godly dad. God was just always a part of her life, and she just assumed that there was a God, and he was real. And now, for the first time, she thought everything she had believed was not true. And not only was she doubting the existence of God, she was convinced she was going to die and go to hell and spend eternity away from a God she didn't even know existed. Well, there was a godly pastor. In fact, he just passed away a couple of months ago, but there was a godly pastor that pulled her through this time. But what began in my mom that night as just a trickle of worry became a tsunami of what we would call today anxiety. I never knew this. I was in the first grade. She kept it from me, but for months, she couldn't sleep, ate very little. She began to lose her hair. She developed a blood pressure problem. She'd walk the floor at night. We didn't know what to call it back in the day, but she'd have what we now call panic attacks. If you've ever had one, you know what I'm talking about. She would have panic attacks. Now, today we know better. Her, her month-long month idea would be called today Generalized Anxiety Disorder, what we call GAD. Now, according to the National Institute of Mental Health, GAD's characteristics include restlessness, Fatigue, irritability, difficulty with sleeping, overwhelming and uncontrollable feelings of worry, and this is mind-boggling. The National Institute of Mental Health says 50 million Americans, get that in your mind, 50 million Americans every single year feel the effects of panic attack, phobias, or their other anxiety disorders. As a matter of fact, I didn't know this. Anxiety disorders in the United States are the number one mental health problem among women, and among men, it's second only to alcoholism and drug addiction. People are anxious. Anxiety is the most common mental disorder in the United States, and according to the World Health Organization, 264 million people around the world right now are living in a sea of anxiety, restless, can't sleep, absolutely worried out of their minds. And according to a new public opinion poll released by the American Psychiatric Association, 62% of Americans feel more anxious than they did at this time just a year ago. Now, to show you how that's gone up, that is double what it was three years ago. Double. People are anxious. As a matter of fact, they say the top three calls that they're worried about or they're anxious about today are 
keeping themselves and their families safe, 80%. COVID-19, to be expected, 75%. And their health, 73%. Researchers also speculate, and I'm quoting, the Western world's environment and social order have changed more in the last 30 years than they have in the previous 300. I absolutely believe that's true. I talked to, to, to pastor friends. I got one of my best pastor buddies back here today, Andy Childs, great pastor up to Coa visiting with us today. We've talked about it. I'm telling you in my lifetime, our culture right here in our country has changed more in the last 20 years than it did in the prior 40 years before that. I've never seen such a radical change. And you'll think about it. No wonder we're anxious. Today we've got the internet. We've got smartphones. We've got computer screens. We've got televisions. So everywhere you look, what are you hearing about? Global warming the threat of nuclear war, terrorist attacks, racial tensions and strife, the emergence of new deadly diseases. So maybe now you'll understand why we're in this series that we're calling No Hard Feelings. Because what we now know about each other is this, feelings drive so much of what we do and so much of where we go and so much of who we are. And the intensity of our feelings has never been stronger. And our emotions have never been higher. So today... We're dealing with anxiety. Now, let me tell you what my definition of anxiety is. This is my definition. Anxiety is a lethal combination of worry and fear that dominates your mind, saturates your heart, and devastates your soul. It is anxiety. As a matter of fact, it's that feeling that continues to linger long after the threat of fear has dissipated. And by the way, you say, well, isn't that what worry is? No, no, no. It's a lot different than worry. As a matter of fact, it is, has, it has far greater intensity than just being worried. See, people use, tend to use worry and, and anxiety interchangeably, but they're really different experiences. According to psychology today, worry tends to be more focused on thoughts in our heads. Anxiety is more visceral. We feel it throughout our entire body. So you may think you have a problem with worry, but it may be a problem with anxiety. Here's some differences. Worry tends to reside in our minds, but anxiety affects both the body and the mind. Worry is specific. You know what you're worried about. I, I've, got a, I've got surgery, by the way, upcoming. This shoulder surgery comes up in about a week or so. I'm, I'm worried about it. I'll be honest with you. I, I wish it was your shoulder, not mine. I hate to tell you that, but I do. But, but, but so it's specific. But anxiety is more, is more generalized. Sometimes it's hard to put your finger on why you're so anxious. Worry is ground in reality. There, there's something you're really worried about, but anxiety is marked by catastrophic thinking. You get anxious about something that may probably never even happen. Worry is temporary. Eventually, it goes away. Anxiety is often chronic. Worry does not impair function. You can function. Anxiety does. Now, here's the good news. There was a man, flesh and blood, just like you and I, Ordinary guy, run-of-the-mill guy in a way. But he wrote more books in the New Testament than anybody else. His name was Paul. And you talk about anxious. Paul wrote a book, and I invite you to turn to it, called Philippians. It's in the New Testament. When Paul wrote this book, he was in a Roman prison. He probably was 100% sure, I'm never going to get out of this prison alive. He didn't know what day he would die. He knew he'd never get out. He knew he'd never see family and friends again. This man understood what it was to be anxious. 
But in this book called Philippians, it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. He gives a four-step process on how to calm our nerves. It is both solid psychological advice, but it is fantastic spiritual advice. So I want you to look with me in Philippians chapter 4. Go look at verses 4 through 7. I want to give you today four steps on how to calm your nerves. Here's step one. Celebrate the person of the Lord. If you're anxious about anything right now, this would be the first thing I would tell you to do. Celebrate the person of the Lord. Now, the heart of what Paul says about anxiety is very simple. That may sound simplistic, but it really isn't. Paul says, okay, are you anxious? I don't want you to raise your hand, but I'm sure some of you today would say, hey, based on what you've said, I'm anxious. Some of you didn't sleep well last night. Some of you lost your appetite. Some of you, you're irritable with your family and you don't know what's going on. You're anxious. You really are having an anxiety problem. Well, Paul says, now get ready. Don't get mad first. Just listen to him. He says, okay, here's what I'll tell you to do. Don't be anxious about anything. Then that just kind of does kind of tick you off, doesn't it, right? I mean, you go to see this great man of God, Paul, I hear so much about you. You're filled with the Spirit. You've got the wisdom of God. I am so anxious. Tell me what to do. And he says, don't be anxious. I just paid you $150 to tell me not to be anxious. Are you kidding me? Do not be anxious about anything. I, and you'd say, well, that's easy to say. That's hard to do. It is. Because anyone that's dealing with anxiety knows you can't just turn it on and turn it off because if you could, you just turn it off. You know, it's not like water coming out of a spigot and you just kind of turn it off. On the other hand, Paul confidently asserts that when anxiety attacks you, you attack anxiety. It's okay. How do I do that? He said, here's what you do. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. Two words I want you to focus on, okay? Focus on the word always and focus on the word again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord. I say it again. Paul repeats himself because he's emphasizing a point. He says, look, this is not something you do occasionally. This is not something you do when you feel like it. This is not something you do when you're in the mood. This is not something to do just when things are going good. He said, you've got to make this a habit. You've got to literally build joy into the muscle memory of your heart and your mind and your soul. See, here's what we do. Too many of us wait until the anxiety alarm bell goes off, and then we, we try to focus on the Lord, His goodness and His grace and His greatness. But you know what happens? If you wait to do that, by that time, the flood of anxiety is so great in your life, it just snuffs out the little matchstick of joy that you're trying to light. Um, I'm going to, in for my pre-op tomorrow, and I was talking to the doctor's assistant about this upcoming surgery. And one of the things they've hammered home to me, if you've ever had you know this, they said, now look, we're going to be prescribing pain medication for you. I said, okay, they're opioids. You've got to be careful with it. But they said the first three days after your surgery, you take that medicine, even if you feel good. Then here's what they said. You've got to stay ahead of the pain. If the pain ever catches up with you, the opioids won't do you any good, okay? So I'm going to be a dope, doped up for a while for about three days, okay? I'm going to do what they tell me to do. But this is what we do. We wait until the anxiety catches up. Then we try to rejoice in the Lord too late. Can't do it. You see, you rejoice in the Lord, you know, when things are good. You rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. You rejoice in the Lord when you're happy. Because here's what happens. When you rejoice in the Lord, even though you don't even feel the need to, hey, life's good. 
Everything's going great. Got a job, job, making money. My health is wonderful. Kids are obeying me. Wife is happy, happy wife, happy life. Paul says, okay, you rejoice in the Lord because if you make it a habit, then when the clouds are thundering and the lightning is flashing and the wind is blowing and the rain is pouring, you will still be rejoicing in the Lord. And let me tell you why this is so, this is such great advice. Because Paul got it. Paul knows right where some of you are. Paul would say, look, I understand it's hard to rejoice. Because some of you sitting there going, you know, you, you preachers kill me. Yeah, I rejoice in the Lord. You don't even know what I'm going through. My pressures are great. My problems are big. And people are mean. And it's hard to rejoice. I get it. When the walls are, 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 are closing in and the roof is falling down and the foundation is coming apart. Well, listen to what Paul did not say. This is, listen now. He did not say rejoice in your circumstances. See, that's what we tend to do. For example, let me give you an illustration. If you derive your joy from the stock market, your joy might crash. If you derive your joy from your marriage, your joy may divorce you or die. If you derive your joy from your business, your joy may declare bankruptcy. If you derive your joy from your children, your joy move, may move away or even turn away. If you derive your joy from your dream house, your dream house may burn down or foreclose. If you derive your joy from Auburn or Tennessee <laughs> or Florida, it may be eaten by a dog. Amen. God, God's good all the time. But listen, if that makes you mad, I don't care. Listen. But when you derive your joy from the Lord, that joy will never forsake you. That joy will never fail you. You say, man, but I'm under great pressure. The Lord's greater than your pressure. Yeah, but, but pastor, I'm, 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 I've got big problems. The Lord's bigger than your problems. I'm dealing with mean people. The Lord's better than your people. And I'm telling you, I've learned, you're not going to find a lot of joy in your possessions or your popularity or your prosperity or your position. But Paul says you can always rejoice in the greatness of God and the grace of God and the goodness of God. Dr. Earl Hensley wrote a book called This Is Your Brain on Joy. He said something so fascinating. He said joy and anxiety both travel the same pathway in your brain. He said it's normal for both of them to try to occupy the same path at the same time. So we have to choose and we get to choose who gets the right of way. He said, so if you say to your brain, you can only open the gate for joy, he says anxiety has to get off the road. So Paul knew what he was talking about. He said, look, there's no room for both joy and anxiety to reign rain, to rain in your heart and your head at the same time. So he said, step number one, you celebrate the person of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Step one. Step two, appreciate the presence of the Lord. Celebrate the person of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Then he says, appreciate the presence of the Lord. Now, let's back up a step. He says this in verse 5. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. That's an important statement. We'll come back to it in a minute. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Why? Because the Lord is 
near. Now, let's just break that out. This, I'm, I'm going to teach you something today about the problems and the pressures and the people you've got. Because sometimes you wonder, why does God let these things come into my life? Why can't it just be smooth all the time? God knows what he's doing. God has a purpose. So he says, okay, let your gentleness be evident to all. Now, what does the word gentleness mean? Gentleness is an attitude that's calm under fire. It's level-headed. It doesn't overreact. When you're gentle, when you're, when, you, when you're the gentle person you ought to be, you always choose faith over fear. You always choose trust over trembling. You always choose worship over worry. And here's what he says. Let it be evident to everybody. Well, what did he mean by that? All right, listen carefully. Gentleness is the ability to keep your head about you when everybody else is losing their head. You're, you're, you're gentle. And see, when things come into your life that makes you anxious, you don't even realize what God is doing. You know what God's doing? God is giving you and God is giving me a golden opportunity to show other people when these pressures and these problems and these people are all caving in on you. He says, hey, this is a golden opportunity for you to show how unbelievers, to show unbelievers, this is how a believer lives when he's under pressure. This is how a believer reacts when he's got problems. This is how a believer handles difficult people. It's that ability to show your family members and your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers. This is how somebody acts when that, that, that really believes God is in charge. God is in control. God has got this. God can handle this. This is the way you do it when you really believe that. And see, when everybody else runs out, we remain contagiously calm. How do you do that, though? Because we know God is right there beside us. That's why he says, be gentle. Let your gentleness be evident to all. When those things come into your life that drive other people nuts, that make them curse, that make them leave their wife, that make them throw in the towel, that make them commit suicide, that make them give up on everything else, you've got a golden chance to say, that's not the way I'm going to handle it because I've got a God that never leaves me. I've got a God that never forsakes me. He says, the Lord is near. Now, there are some scholars who believe that refers to the second coming of Jesus, and it could refer to that. That's one meaning. But I believe it also refers to the nearness of God in our lives. And I think what Paul is simply saying is this. There's no need to fear when Jesus is near. There's no need to fear when Jesus is near. So here's what we do, and I do it like you do. Too often we focus on the problems and the pressures and the people causing our anxiety, and we totally forget about God. What Paul is saying is instead, we ought to focus on God and let him handle the problem. Let him handle the pressure. Let him handle the people that's causing our anxiety. Because whatever is causing your anxiety, let me tell you this. God never meant it to drive you into emotional despair and emotional despondency. Every time you've got these situations that come that make you want to walk the floor, gives you ulcers, keeps you awake at night, you know what God's trying to do? He's trying to use that situation to literally drive you into his hands to drive you into his house, to drive you into his heart. So you can hear him say one more time, I got this. I knew this was going to happen to you before you came into this world. I've already made all the preparation that you need. And there are four words you ought to learn every time you're tempted to pace the floor, every time your stomach's in a knot, every time that ulcer's growing, when the ghost of anxiety's haunting every part of your house, there are four words you ought to keep saying over and over and over. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. The Lord 
is near. Listen, it ought to mean tremendous comfort to you to know you can never get away from God and God will never get away from you, ever. So no matter what foe you face, you're not fighting alone. No matter how hot the fire you're in, no matter how deep the pit you're in, the Lord is with you. You cannot escape his presence. So he said, you celebrate the person of the Lord. Then you appreciate the presence of the Lord. Gets better. He said, step three, you liberate the power of the Lord. Liberate the power of the Lord. Now, let's get to the heart of the matter, okay? These first two steps, we're going to call that, that's, that's, that's the pre-op. We haven't got to the surgery yet. That's pre-op. Now we're going to get to the surgery. Now you're ready to hear these words that Paul said. Do not be anxious about anything. Now it's beginning to make more sense. By the way, that word anxious literally means to be pulled apart or to divide. And you think about it, that's exactly what happens psychologically. It's what happens emotionally. It's what happens spiritually when you are anxious. You feel like your life is being pulled apart. You're trying to get a handle on the problem, but you can't seem to do it. And then instead of being hopeful, you're fearful. Instead of being dynamic, you're depressed. Because see, I told you about worry. The plant of anxiety comes from the seed of worry. They're not the same, but they're related. It is the, the seed that gives the fruit of the plant. Anxiety is the monster that worry creates. But there's a prescription for this poisonous seed of worry. There is a prescription. And believe it or not, I found the best one from a French soldier who wrote it down just before he was carried into battle in World War I. I think it's one of the best things I've ever read. Listen to what he said. He said, one thing is certain. Oh, that's not up there. Let me just read it here. He said, of two things, one is certain. Either you're at the front of the lines or you're behind the lines, okay? He said, if you're at the front, one of two things is certain. Either you're exposed to danger or you're in a safe place, okay? If you're exposed to danger, one of two things is certain. You're wounded or you're not wounded, okay? He says, if you're wounded, one of two things is certain. You're either gonna recover or you're gonna die. He said, if you recover, there's no need to worry, and if you die, you can't worry. He had it down. He, he, he understood it. See, overcoming anxiety is more than just the effort, okay, I'll just quit worrying about that. Well, if that's all you needed to do, everybody get over it. It's, it's, it's different from that. You wouldn't even suffer from it. He said the key to being pro is, is with anxiety is you've got to proactively deal with it. You've got to know where to take your anxiety. What do you do with it? Well, here's his advice. This is the advice. But in every situation, can y'all say that word with me real loud? Every. In every situation. Big, small, in between, doesn't matter. He says in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So here's Paul's simple piece of psychological advice that I think is 24 karat gold. Be anxious about nothing, pray about everything. Be anxious about nothing, pray about everything. But you know what we tend to do? You know what I tend to do? <laughs> I get anxious about everything and pray about nothing. And when that happens to me, I do what you do. I walk the floor. I don't sleep well at night. I get, my blood pressure goes up. 
We get anxious about everything. By the way, those are the only two alternatives you're going to do, have with anxiety. There, there's no third option. You will either be anxious about it or you'll pray about it. But let me tell you what happens when you pray. You ready? When you pray, you just literally liberate the power of God. Because here's what God does. God's up there. He's watching you. He's waiting. He's looking. He's got the 30,000-foot view. He sees more than you see. He knows more than you know. He's watching you walk the floor, and he's just waiting. He's not going to force his way in. He's not going to push you around. He's not going to shove his way into your life. But the moment you look up to him and you say, oh, God, I cannot handle this, but I know you can, you just ignited the engine that allows the rocket of God's power to blast off into your anxiety. Now, if you don't mind, permit me, and I'm not being funny, but let me, let me just kind of use an illustration of my favorite football team, which you know what it is, Georgia Bulldogs. Let me just use an illustration. By common consensus, to this day, the greatest college running back of all time was who? Herschel Walker. I'm not, that's not what I, everybody says. You know, he was the greatest college running back of all time. Herschel Walker was six feet one. He weighed 225 pounds. He ran a 4340. He could leap defensive lines at a single bound. I mean, the guy was just absolutely incredible. And I want you to imagine something. So you've got one play left. You're gunning for the national championship. It's fourth and goal. You're on the one-yard line. Can you imagine leaving Herschel on the bench and running a pass play to a brick-handed wide receiver who can't catch a cold? You say, of course not. No, what would you do? Somebody said, what would you do? You give the ball to Herschel, right? That's not hard. Give the ball to Herschel. Here's what we do. We get filled with anxiety. You know what we do? We keep Herschel on the bench. We find this brick-handed wide receiver who couldn't catch a cold, and we throw it to him. But what happens is when you pray, you know what you just did? You just took your best player, not Herschel, God. You just took your best player and you put him into the game. And by the way, he scores every single time. Because here's the bad news. When you try to handle your anxiety, you know what's going to happen? You're just going to deepen your anxiety. It's just going to get worse. So when the avalanche of anxiety is coming down that mountain right on you, when that tornado of trouble is tearing your soul apart, when the hurricane of heartache is pounding at the door of your heart, if you'll just stop, here's what you're going to hear. Would you just give this to me? I've already made preparations. I've already got a plan. You just leave it to me. I've got it, and I'll take it. See, he can handle it. You can't. He never said you could. He always said he would. And oh, by the way, then Paul kind of really handled it. He said, oh, by the way, and when you do it, do it with thanksgiving. You say, What? Yeah, I want you to do it with thanksgiving. How do you do that? Well, Lord, I'm so thankful that no matter how great the pressure, how difficult the people, how hard the problem, you can handle it. Because let me tell you about the God that I know. Let me tell you about the God that I serve. Let me tell you about the God that changed my life as a nine-year-old boy. This God loves you enough to take whatever's causing you anxiety he is powerful enough to handle whatever's causing your anxiety, and he's wise enough to grow you through that anxiety. So what do you do? Man, I'm anxious. I'm driving myself nuts. I'm having a nervous breakdown. Celebrate the person of the Lord. 
Appreciate the presence of the Lord. Liberate the power of the Lord. And if you do that, Paul said, this is what happens. You ready? Then you can meditate on the peace of the Lord. Now listen to what he says. Paul says, when you follow these three steps, here's what you encounter always happening. Watch. What will happen if you do that? Where will my anxiety go? Here's what will happen. And the peace of God. Don't you want to live in peace? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, it'll be so powerful. Here's, you know what that means? You're going to go, how in the world am I having such peace when I'm facing this problem? Doctor says, I've got stage four cancer. I just got a pink slip. I'm going to lose my job. My wife just walked out on me. How in the world can I have peace? I, I don't understand. And yet I do. I do. Because I've taken these other steps. And here's what Paul says. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, a lot of peace treaties have been signed in history, and they've been broken. Peace didn't last. But here's what God says. My peace will last. And remember that the peace of God is the peace that can only come from God. It's not the kind of peace that you'll find in money our drugs, our pills, our alcohol, our sex, our fame, our fortune, because that peace never lasts. Paul says, this is a peace. It can't be bought. It can't be borrowed. It cannot be stolen. It's not found in a pill. It's found in a person. It's not found in a drug or a drink. It is found in a deity. I did a little study about peace in the Bible. I was fascinated. Did you know in the New Testament, there are 27 books, 18 of those books, began with a greeting of peace. 18 of them. And the peace, this peace is not from the authors of the book. The peace is from the God who inspired them to write the books. And here's something else you'll notice. Whenever you find this little peace greeting in the New Testament 18 times, it always says this, grace and peace to you. It's never peace by itself. It's never peace on, at first. It's always this, grace and peace to you. Why is that? Because you will never know the peace of God until you experience the grace of God. But when you experience the grace of God, you will know the peace of God. That word peace occurs nearly 400 times in the Bible. You know what I believe? This is God's book of peace. You want to find peace? It's right here in this book. This book is inspired by the God of peace. When you read the truth of this book and come to know the God who inspired it, you'll not only have peace, you'll have a peace that transcends all understanding. It will stand guard over your heart, soul, and mind 24 hours a day for as long as you live. And see, again, the steps are just so simple. They're so powerful. So let me, make, let me see if I can put it this way. I want you to imagine I've got three boxes up here. All right, I've got, I've got three boxes. This box is anxiety. This box is prayer, and this box is thanksgiving. We got three imaginary boxes up here, okay? And here's what Paul says. See if you've been listening. What do you put in the anxiety box? What do you put in the anxiety box? Nothing. What did he say? Be anxious for what? Nothing. So what do you put in that box? Nothing goes in that box. What do you put in the prayer box? Everything. And what do you put in the Thanksgiving box? Anything. Nothing goes in the anxiety box. Everything goes in the prayer box. And anything goes in the Thanksgiving box. And what Paul says is, when you put what needs to go in the box where it needs to go, anxiety will go out the door. Peace will come in the door. 
because you know God has everything under control. So I want to remind you, this real lasting peace some of you have been looking for, you've been looking in all the wrong places, it comes from the Lord. A great philosopher once said this, God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel our spirits were designed to burn or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. God cannot give us a peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Now, I want to show you why I love the Bible. And I'm going to wrap up with this. I want to show you why this is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I've given you four things you need to do. You ready? Watch this. First thing you do, you celebrate the person of the Lord. Everybody got that? Second thing you do, you appreciate the presence of the Lord. You got that? You liberate the power of the Lord. Got that? You meditate on the peace of the Lord. And what does that spell? Calm. You will calm your nerves. God did not put you here to walk floors, to get ulcers, to have your stomach tied up in a knot, and to worry yourself to death. God put you here. The same God that sent his son Jesus that took care of your sin problem is the same God that can take care of your soul problem if you'll follow the steps that he's given, because by the way, they work every time. Let's pray together. With his bowed and with eyes closed, I want to say one word about anxiety, and it may upset some of you when I say it, but I mean it. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ought to be anxious. You ought to be, I don't even know how you, I don't even know how you sleep at night. If I honestly had no clue that if I were to die today, what would happen to me, I'd be the most anxious person on this planet. Even more, if I knew if I were to die today that I would not spend eternity with God, you couldn't even measure anxiety on a Richter scale in my life. So I just want to tell you, if you don't know Jesus, you better be anxious. Because if you're not anxious without knowing Jesus, you're in bigger trouble than you realize you are. Because we're all sinners separated from God and there's nothing you can do to take care of your sin problem. But God loved you so much, he did for you what you couldn't do for yourself. He sent Jesus to die for your sins. And he cast the check by raising him from the dead. And he did all of that. So the one thing above all we never have to be anxious about ever again is our sin our death, and the destiny we'll face after we're gone, all taken care of. So today, if you've never trusted in that Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, would you do that right now? Would you be willing just to say what I said when I was nine years old that radically changed my life? Would you just say it with me right now? Would you just pray it with me right now? Lord Jesus, you know, I, I have been anxious, and I realize now I should be. Because I've never come to a point in my life where I knew for sure that I have eternal life. Where I knew for sure I've been forgiven. But Lord Jesus, today, I confess that you are my Lord. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe God raised you from the dead. 
And I believe you're alive right now. So Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Save me. Forgive me of all of my sins. I repent. I turn away from my sinful life. I surrender all that I am to all that you are. And I receive your gift of eternal life. He said, pray it with thanksgiving. So would you just right now just say, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving me today. Now, if you're watching online right now, or you're in this room right now, and you prayed with me to receive Christ, here's the next step I want you to take. Okay, just look up here and listen to me. If you prayed to receive Christ, and you really want to take the next step, you really meant it, I want you to do one of two things. Go on your computer or your phone right now, your iPad, and just text. Just go to the website, crosspointchurch.com slash decision. Do it right now. Or just text Jesus to 678-255-2566. We're going to leave that up for just a moment. Just dial right now. Just text Jesus, 678-255-2566. Here's what you'll find. When you go to those websites, we will tell you the next step you take once you give your life to Christ. And I'm telling you, you really want to be free of anxiety. It's not enough just to say, okay, I give my life to Christ. You got to stay in that flow. You got to stay in that flow and that walk with God. You got to continue to live in obedience. We're going to help you do that. If you're in our building today and you made a decision for Christ, after the service is over, if you'll just go out to our, we've got a table called Connection Point right out in the lobby. If you'll just go out there, if you'll just be willing to go and just say, hey, I just want you to know I made this decision. You may have prayed to receive Christ. You may never have been biblically baptized. We'll be baptizing Easter Sunday. You've never been biblically baptized. Maybe you need to make that decision. Maybe you've think, been thinking about joining the church, our church. If you've got a spiritual decision or if you've just got a problem that's giving you terrific spiritual heartburn, anxiety, you'd like someone to pray with you, just go to our Connection Point table. They'll be more than happy to do that. Now, look up here. Everybody look up here at me. Who is your one? Who's your one? Every week, I hope you understand, we don't just preach a message to make you feel better or to help you deal with your issues. We want to do that. But I'm hoping every week, one of my prayers is, God, let them understand why. If If what we say is true, we don't need to keep it in this building. We, we need to share it. And, and, and I just want to take a moment and ask you to pray for a young man. I got to play a great golf course here in Atlanta. I was invited to play, and it's one of those courses you have to have a caddy. My caddy's name was Chris. So from the very get-go, we're out there practicing, getting ready to play, and I said, Chris, I'm a pastor. I want to ask you a question. Do you mind if we talk about spiritual things? And he said, no, I don't mind. Matter of fact, he says, I got a lot of questions to ask. I said, great. And he had a ton of questions. And they were some off-the-wall questions. I mean, really off-the-wall. 18 holes, I'm sharing the gospel. Bad news, worst news, good news, best news. He didn't get saved. But let me tell you what he said to me as I went to leave. After I gave him a, you, know, you tip your caddy, I gave him a tip, and I said, hey, Chris, thanks for letting me share with you. You didn't have to listen to me, but thank you for, for sharing with me, for letting me share with you. Turned around, started to walk off. He grabbed me by the arm. And he said, hey, Doc, because I'd shared with him this verse of Scripture that's the saddest verse in the Bible to me in the book of Psalms where somebody wrote, no man cared for my soul. And I did send him, I said, Chris, I don't know if I'll ever see you again. I gave him my email address. I said, I don't know if I'll ever see you again or not. But I just hope when you hear my name, James Merritt, you'll say, you know what? That man cared for my soul. I just said that to him. I said, hey, Chris, thanks a lot. So I go to leave. He turned me around and he said, Doc, I just want to thank you that you just cared enough about me to share today with me. 
You gave me a lot to think about. So I want you to pray for Chris. You don't need to know his last name, but I want you to pray for Chris, that God would open Chris's eyes. And let me tell you why I say that. Every one of you in here know a Chris. And some of you know a Chris. You may not know it, but they didn't sleep well last night. And they're not eating. And they really like to end their life. And the reason why you are in their life is to share with them the only one that can deliver them from their problem. So I ask you today as I do it, who is your one? And ask God this week to give you a chance to share the greatest message of all with that one. Let's stand to our feet right now, and we're going to sing one last song. I just got to tell my worship team as always, I love you to death. You know that. You guys have done such a great, great job today. So let's close today as we worship our Lord together.